mystery tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people, and welcome to this 26th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today, we're going to talk about Grace Dieu Priory. This is an ancient structure that is now just basically a ruin found in Leicestershire, England. We're looking forward to sharing the history about this place with you and also the elaborate hauntings that have taken place here. There is a lot of eyewitness accounts. But before we get into that, we do want to point you over to our website, which you can find at historygoesbump.com. There you'll find tabs that will take you to the blog, our emporium. We have archives of our past shows. The most recent 10 shows is on the front page. We also have an events page, contact page, and along the left-hand side of the front page are a lot of links to the different social networking places that you can find us at. You can subscribe to the newsletter over there as well. And if you are so inclined, donate to the show to help us with our overhead, which we would greatly appreciate. And of course, if we reach $100 in a month, we run a contest. So we already had one contest go, so we're looking forward to having another one. And of course, we're always looking for your ideas, comments, and just communication from you. So if you'd like to communicate with us, you can simply email us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. We do want to give a special shout out. Some of you did heed the begging that we've been doing about getting some reviews for the show. We wanted to let you know that we greatly appreciate those reviews that we've gotten. Apparently, Denise is going to be getting me some Depends because, indeed, I pretty much wet my pants. I was so excited about the reviews that we got. I want to thank Mary for sending in her five-star review. We greatly appreciate that. And she told us that she really loves the mix of the history and ghostly tales. Lots of fun, odd info, too. I love looking up that stuff. It's a great thing. Patient number nine, who possibly might need a stay in one of these sanatoriums that we've been talking about. I mean, patient number nine, where is that coming from? <laughs> I think I know where it's coming from. Great review. History made fun. Talks about what a great concept it is and how we... Make sure that we are getting all of the facts. And when we don't have all the facts completely, we let you know, too, that this is a little bit questionable and that we're not just true believers right from the get-go. And then the one that really touched us both is this review that we got from Belle. We want to thank you very much for this, Belle. It actually brought tears to my eyes. I've been doing podcasting for many years and never got a review like this. So just wanted to let you know how much we appreciate it. And I want to share it with the audience. Hi, Diane. Hi, Denise. I've been wanting to write a review of your podcast for ages, but I decided that it is time since Diane promised to wet her pants and Denise is prepared with the pens. Regardless, I love your podcast. It is informative and interesting and, well, incredible. You guys make me laugh and totally creep me out. I get so excited every time you put out a podcast, and I thank God for you continually. It would seem weird to say to any other podcasters, but I know you guys understand how connected you can get to the people who you listen to on the internet. I feel like I know both of you, and I see you as friends. I do not know where you both stand on the existence of God, but I'm a Christian and believe in Him. I thank God for you both all the time because of how He uses you in my life. 
I've been battling a lifelong depression that has threatened to destroy me over and over. You guys make me laugh. You make me feel better. I know God uses your kindness to help me through this. So I thank you both for your love and kindness, and last but not least, your marvelous podcast. Thank you for being a friend to me. Please continue your podcast. I would genuinely miss you. Well, we have no intention of quitting doing this. We do absolutely love it. And I'm glad that that comes across in our podcast. And Belle, you definitely are a friend. We think of all of our listeners as our friends. And that's kind of what we're out here to do is touch people in this way. And I certainly didn't expect to get a response like this to our show. We both, and and I'm doing this by myself because Denise is out of town while I'm doing the final edit on this show, but I wanted to get this up right away. So believe me that Denise feels the exact same way. And just to let you know, Belle, Denise has been through depression herself, so she completely understands where you're coming from. As for the whole existence of God, we're both Christians, most definitely. And you'll probably get a little bit of a taste of that later on this month. We're planning on doing a bonus cast that's going to talk about the Bible and ghosts, because a lot of people may not know that the Bible actually does talk about ghosts, and that doesn't generally say that there is no such thing. It might actually support the fact that there is. Of course, we won't know until we really do reach the afterlife exactly what happens. It's been kept kind of a secret from us, but uh, we definitely know where you're coming from there, and, and we just thank you so much, Belle, for that review. All right, now that we got all that business stuff taken care of, let's go ahead and move forward with the show. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com Located in the Nazca Desert of Peru are unique and peculiar designs that have been carved into the reddish earth of the area, leaving behind white lines that form the Nazca Lines. The lines consist of four to six inch deep trenches and form geoglyphs that resemble animals, trees, flowers, and humans, while other lines are geometric shapes or just simple straight lines. It is believed that the Nazca culture created the geoglyphs between 400 and 650 A.D., Many of the designs are quite complex, and they are so large that they can only be seen from high above on either the foothills or in the sky, leading many to wonder how an indigenous people were able to create the lines. Were these people far more advanced than we think, and they were able to fly? Did UFOs have something to do with their creation? Others wonder the purpose of the designs. Some scholars believe that they have religious or spiritual significance. Were the geoglyphs made for the Nazca people's sky gods? In 1985, archaeologist Johann Reinhard hypothesized that the Nazca lines were sacred pathways to places of worship. Other scientists believe the symbols are reverse constellations. No one knows for sure the purpose of the lines or how they were made, leading the Nazca lines to be grouped in with other mysteries of the world. The Nazca lines are not only mysterious, but they are rather odd.
history. On this day, February 7th, in 1894, the Western Federation of Miners begins a strike in the city of Cripple Creek in Colorado. The price of silver had crashed in 1893, and this launched the Panic of 1893. But gold still held much value, and gold is what they were mining in Cripple Creek. Miners flooded the area after silver crashed, and over 150 mines were opened. Labor was easy to come by, so mine owners took advantage. They worked the miners for long hours and offered no extra pay. When the miners complained, the greedy mine owners gave them an insulting offer. They would go back to eight-hour workdays, but miners would lose 50 cents a day. This would take their pay down to $2.50 a day. The miners went on strike. These were the days when strikes consisted of more than walking or standing with signs in front of a place of business. Strikes got dangerous and deadly. The mine owners raised a private army, and the miners armed themselves in return. The miners even built a fort. Attacks were in the form of fires and dynamite explosions. The state militia entered the conflict in June and took the side of the miners, and the situation was tamped down. This was a major victory for the labor movement, and the Western Federation of Miners became very powerful. In Leicestershire, England, the ruins of a religious settlement can be found that was once the Grace Du Priory. Despite the fact that not much of the stone structure still stands today, people from all around the world come to visit the site for various reasons. Some are tourists interested in the history. Other visitors are interested in the esoteric and come to the ruins seeking the spiritual. They believe the ruins lie on top of ley lines. Still others come because they're interested in things unseen. Reportedly, the stones of the Priory are not the only vestiges still here. The spirits of those who have come before seem to remain. Grace Dew Priory is haunted. Grace Dew Priory was established as an independent monastery of the Augustinian order. This order was named for Augustine of Hippo. The order was split into different factions, one of which followed the Roman Catholic religion and was called the Rule of St. Augustine. The members were strictly female. These women formed different communities of Augustinian nuns. One of these orders came to live at Grace Dew Priory, and they were called the White Nuns of Augustine. They were the only order that had that name. The priory was founded by Rohis de Verdon sometime between 1235 and 1241. Rohis was born in 1204 in Staffordshire, England. Her father was Nicholas de Verdon, and he owned a large amount of land around Belton. The land that the priory would be built upon was originally given to Nicholas by William Wasnes, who was the lord of the manor of Osgathorpe. Rosies gave the land for the building of Gracedew Priory, and Bishop of Lincoln gave the priory its charter in 1241 and dedicated it to the Holy Spirit and St. Mary. Rohis died in 1246, and she was buried in the priory chapel. An eternal light was kept at the tomb. The tomb, including Rohi's body, was moved to the parish church at Belton during the dissolution. The priory grew to be rather large with 16 nuns. I don't know if I would call that rather large, but I guess at the time, 16 nuns was a lot in one location. These 16 nuns were living at the monastery, and a hospital was built next to the priory. The nuns were forbidden to leave the monastery. The priory was never wealthy, but it was undervalued in 1536 by the king's representatives, which put it in danger of being closed. 
It was given a reprieve that ended in 1538, and the Gracedew Priory was dissolved. William Woodsworth wrote of the Priory, quote, Beneath yon eastern ridge, the craggy bound, rugged and high of Charnwood's forced ground, stand yet, but stranger, hidden from thy view, the ivied ruins of forlorn grace due. Ernst a religious house, which day and night, with hymns resounded and the chanted rite. End quote. John Beaumont bought the property in 1539 and converted the monastery into a home, which stayed in his family until 1684. Sir Ambrose Phillips bought the home, and within a short time he had pulled down most of the buildings. The site passed down through the Phillips family, and in 1833 a descendant named Ambrose de Lisley built a home 300 yards from the Priory ruins. Grace Dew Manor stayed in the family until 1964 when the home became a Catholic school. And a lot of people, when they would go to the ruins, didn't know where the Priory ended and the homes began because walls were torn down and this house was built. So it's it's hard when archaeologists go out there because they're like, what in the world? Yeah, they're not sure what's new and what's old and mm-hmm. what's part. What belonged to where? In 1996, the Grace Dew Priory Trust was formed by a group of people who wanted to conserve the ruins of the site. The Romician Order owns the property and has leased the area to the trust. Architects were brought in to solidify the structure and make it safe for visitors. The site is now open for public touring as well as ghost walks. Grace Dew Priory is situated near the Thringstone Fault, named for the nearby village of Thringstone. The geological fracture in the earth is below the ground. There's a theory that the crack in the earth somehow interferes with the electromagnetic field, and thus EMF detectors are affected, and people sometimes get that weird feeling. There are traces nearby of what appears to be a worship area for pagan practices. In particular, there is a standing stone. Standing stones are part of the pagan practice of setting up a type of pillar to worship before. Archaeologists believe that the only remaining standing stone is part of a circle of 14 that had once existed here. The Catholic Church liked to build their structures over pagan sites, so is this perhaps why this particular spot was picked for the priory? It is claimed that a ripple of energy lies below the surface as well, leading some to claim the priory is located above or near ley lines. A ley line is a point where several historical, spiritual, or other structures are located near each other. For example, Stonehenge and the Great Pyramid are supposedly on ley lines. Ley lines are mystical and work much in the same way as feng shui is supposed to work, guiding energy in certain directions. These lines crisscross the globe and they also have been connected to unexplained or supernatural occurrences. Ley lines are sometimes described as pathways that have been tread many times like the Oregon Trail in America. Corpse roads were these lines that wove the same path to the cemetery. Is it possible that residual hauntings are following these well-worn pathways? And if something is built over the ley line, would that cause a ghost to haunt that place? All of this is purely speculation, but interesting to consider since Grace Dew Priory has many tales of haunting experiences. One such tale originates in the 16th century. A nun named Agnes Litherland had become pregnant. Whoa, whoa. Mm -hmm. You usually shouldn't say nun and pregnant in the same sentence. This was quite the feat since nuns were supposed to be celibate. And these nuns, as you heard earlier, were restricted from leaving the priory. Agnes gave birth to this illegitimate child. 
The child was drowned in the nearby pond, and Agnes was punished by being walled up in a room in the priory. Whoa, 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 whoa. So if the child was drowned, the child was drowned by the church. (laughs) Well, that's a great point. So it's okay to murder a child, but you got knocked up, honey, so you're in trouble. Okay. I'm not going to reason out the Catholic Church and some of its thinking, especially back then. But a side note here is that there has been information that Agnes was given a pension and asked to leave the priory. So why couldn't she just leave pregnant? I'm sorry, I'm still going back. I can't believe they killed a baby, drowning by no less, because a nun got herself pregnant. Well, and keep in mind, since I have this side note that I found when Mm -hmm. I was doing the research here, we don't know how much of the story is true. Was there really a baby that was drowned? Was she sent packing while she was still pregnant? Because it's a big difference between saying this woman got walled up in a room and she was given a pension and said, adios. Okay. So I am not exactly sure what the truth is there. And there are people who say, well, somebody got walled up in the place. So I'm assuming these are because, again, this is the 16th century and we don't know. So did some psychics, you know, were talking to somebody and they said, hey, I was a nun and I got walled up in this room. True. We just don't know. Okay. There's definitely a ghost of at least one woman, if not two, as you're all going to hear. The ghost of a woman is seen wandering the property, probably looking for her baby. It's kind of like when I was having that discussion about the guy looking for his teeth. How do you know? Do you ask and they tell you, I'm looking for my baby? Have you seen her? And how do they know she's not looking for the, if it's true story, the killers of her baby? Because those are the ones I'd be going after and they would be pain. And there's a story that maybe she's looking for her lost lover, too, because somebody got her knocked up. This is true. And remember that these nuns were called the White Nuns. So you probably will not be surprised to hear that this woman is called the White White Lady. Lady. Or maybe we'd call her the Lady in White. Got one everywhere, as we like to say. The White Lady has no hands or feet in most of accounts told about her. Charlie Goh, a former worker on the grounds, tells a story from 1948 of seeing a nun dressed in all white wearing a wide-brimmed hat. The figure disappeared when Mr. Goh approached. There have been sightings of a woman in gray as well. A police officer saw a woman dressed in gray with a hood cross the road near the priory. She then disappeared. And a worker at the site once felt a woman behind him, but before he could turn around, he was pushed forcefully from behind. He turned white as a sheet and never returned to work. As mentioned earlier, Rohis de Verdon was originally buried at the priory, but her remains were disturbed and moved. People claim that this female spirit is faceless, and on at least two occasions, the specter has ventured across the road to a bus stop where a bus driver has stopped to pick her up, only to have her disappear when either of them opened the bus door. Is it possible that this woman in gray might be Rohis? And as I like to say, inquiring minds want to know, if you're dead, why do you care what happens to your gravesite? We hear a lot about hauntings is because a grave was desecrated or a burial was disturbed. If you're dead, why do you care? I'm wondering if it would be more recent because it's only been recently where we've become more okay with different types of burials like cremation, having ashes thrown to sea, where before cemeteries, gravestones, all of that were so, so important and you had to be in the family side. And so I wonder if it's just some of that, that it's more sacred back then than it is necessarily now. It's a good point. My other question is, these women are from the 16th century, so why are they looking to get on a bus? 
I mean, do, do you know what that is? Or I don't know. It's that's dangerous. a really good point. <laughs> why that's why a, they stop it for the bus? Do you even know what that is? Or they would have no idea what a bus is from the 16th century. I mean, I've always wondered, and we'll never know, or at least we won't know till we cross over to the beyond the veil. Do you get more knowledge when you're over there about this stuff because you're watching it happen? And so then you're like, oh yeah, well now I know what a car is, and is this just stuff that happens through experience? You figure it out, or. Maybe it's a newer ghost, although I don't see her wearing parachute pants. I was just about to say, <laughs> why don't they change their dress? You could get out of that nun's habit and put on parachute pants. It would be fabulous. We're still looking for our parachute pants ghost, but only Diane, not me. I, I would not tip the spirit. That would be incredibly terrifying, so maybe not. <laughs> ice, ice baby. Then we'd have the ice baby ghost. <laughs> <laughs> No oh, offense I, to him. I don't. I'm not wishing death. I'm just saying somebody who maybe is mimicking. Yeah, I have the song. horrible visions of vanilla ice and parachute pants as a ghost. No, the sightings of either of these female-looking spirits are numerous. In 1990, the Lee family drove past the Grace Dew Priory and saw a bright light coming from the bus shelter. As they got closer, they saw that it was a woman with no facial features and no hands or feet hovering above the ground. In 1961, a police officer was walking his dog near the site and saw a figure dressed in a white hooded robe near the railway. The dog's hackles were raised and it growled. Vince Bell was riding his motorcycle to work in 1986 and saw a woman dressed in a white robe cross the road near the Priory. Diane, in your research, was there anything about possibly any of the women, any of the nuns having their hands or their feet like chopped off or maybe some because several times... Our research has come across that the apparition had no hands and no feet. A lot of these sightings say they could not see any facial features and no hands and feet, which is rather bizarre to me. The only thing I can think of is since this is a hooded figure, that maybe the robe is covering the, covering hands, and the hands and feet and you're not seeing that. But I don't know for sure. So that's just a guess. I'm trying to think, you know, a lot of the time when nuns, it seems like, would be walking around, their dresses would be long enough that they would go all the way to the ground. And I know a lot of them would tuck their hands into mm -hmm. their shirts or their shirt sleeves. So I'm wondering if that's what's happening here, is they're just tucking those away. So it's not as if they were, hands and feet were cut off or something, if that's what you're wondering. Well, but the thing is, is like you and I, if we see a picture we automatically know that's where the hands and feet are, is mm -hmm. under the robes. But they're specifically saying they had no hands and no feet. That's a good point. So there had to have been something that was a little different about it. And it doesn't explain no facial features. Is that just because the hood is down and so you can't right. make out facial features? Not sure. Hmm. Great questions. Maybe we'll have to go over there and watch for the nun to be crossing the street. Check. Ask her. Looking for white Lady in. I'll be like, who are those two crazy chicks that are always sitting at that bus stop over by the Grace Dew Priory? They're just hanging out there. Never get on the bus. They just sit at the bench. And I wonder, I would like to know what the bus shelter is built over. Because that's a really weird place to haunt for 16th century It really ghosts. is bizarre. Because a lot of these sightings are along the road, crossing the road. What is what is that? Why is it? Was there something over there exactly? Stopping at the bus stop, bus seeing her at the bus stop. Yeah, stopped at because I, I don't understand why it would stop to get on the bus anyway. It's and none of these prove it to be an intelligent haunting. So a lot of it could just be something residual, right? You know, which would make sense of why it disappears when the bus driver stops. It doesn't want on the bus. 
So it doesn't need to know what a bus is. It's just haunting that location, which appears that it's waiting for the bus since the bus shelter is there now. The other thing that you just made me think about, look at us going down this rabbit hole. It always seems like when people see a full-bodied apparition, which is a true rarity when it comes to paranormal sightings, they disappear. It's like, bam, you, they, you see, you look away, you look back and it's gone. Or here, he opens the door to let her on the bus and she's gone. Get into a taxi and she's gone. Something of that nature. It's always these ghosts are like gone the minute they're seen. So is it that their energy has been taken away? Is it that they weren't really trying to be visible and they were like, oh, crap, I've been seen? I'm wondering what the connection is there, that they just, it's not like you see an apparition for a really long period of time usually. I mean, sometimes that happens, but a lot of the time it's, they're just gone, bam. Well, and we have, since we're in the rabbit hole, we might as well stay here for a minute. We've also talked about that it might necessarily not be a haunting, but kind of a veil that's between two two dimensions. And so if mm-hmm. the veil might just kind of open a little bit and then go close, so it might not necessarily mm. be because it's been seen, but it's just that glimpse opens and then closes before they can actually make contact with it too. That's interesting too, because we talk about there being mm-hmm. that veil there. So it's almost like, did the veil go up and then it came back down, kind of like a stage right. with the curtain coming down? Depending on which way you believe ghosts are, you know, mm-hmm. residual, veil is another dimension. Sure. So. Or are they stepping out of time and then back into another time? Because uh, again, we don't even know that these are actual spirits. You might be seeing something that's been moving through time, projected, who knows. That's why I always look at when paranormal investigators say, we're going to get the answers. Good luck. (laughs) Okay, we think you're going to get the answers. Good luck to you because there's so many possibilities and you'll just, you'll never know because most of this you can't prove. And the more questions I ask, the less answers I have. This is why I love science fiction and, and horror and fantasy because that to me seems closer to real life than some of the stuff that other people are writing that's supposed to be everyday type life. Right. A vision of some sorts has been reported featuring a large group of men and women sitting at a table to eat together. The plates are made of metal. A young boy plays the flute. Companies of disembodied soldiers have been seen at the site as well. And similar to one of the tales that occurs at Australia's quarantine station, one group of investigators felt a warm breeze come through their group before the cold night air returned. Again, and we talked about this when we did the quarantine station because that was one woman's, when she was writing about her experience going there on her blog, she said she knew that something had passed between her and the other people who were standing in the doorway because they felt this intense, warm, heat-type spot go past them. And I thought, that is the first time I'd ever heard of that. And then here again, it happened again, where it was a warm breeze, which makes us ask, is the ambient temperature that much colder than what the ghost is? Or is it just another phenomenon? Because I've often wondered, I know they say that you get these cold sensations because the ghosts are pulling the energy out of the room. Again, I, I don't know why that would make it colder, but it almost seems like it should make it warmer because they're pulling energy. They're using energy. So wouldn't they be creating heat? Because isn't that what energy does? It doesn't create an ice block. No, it definitely creates heat. And all I know, not that I would ever tempt the spirits, but if I do have an encounter, I'd rather it be a warm one than a cold one. That's true. I'd rather have a warm hand on my cheek than an icy one. (laughs) Ditto. People riding the Carnwood Forest Railway claim to have seen ghosts or felt sudden chills when stopping at the Greystew Station. Orbs and mists have been photographed on many occasions. And up in the show notes today, we do have a couple of pictures that are from the official Greystew Priory's website. And they show a pretty peculiar type of mist. Again, maybe somebody was smoking around the camera, but they're interesting to check out. So we invite you to check those out if you'd like. And we do have the link up 
in the show notes. So you can go over to the uh, official website for more information about that. Is this site just another pile of rocks with historical significance? Are some of those people who once lived here still hanging around? Have other spirits from other events or times gathered here? Is Grace Dew Priory haunted? That is for you to decide. I don't know. It sounds pretty compelling. There's a ton of people who have seen that lady in white or white lady. And I only put a few of the stories that people have shared about that. So there's even more than what we shared for this show. So this is something that has been seen time and time and time again. Now, I saw a lot of videos out there about paranormal investigations here using the ghost box and that kind of thing. And they found children there and all kinds of stuff. I don't know how much I buy into that. But it's just interesting that the main haunting seems to trace back to the nuns. Didn't see too much when I was doing research about the family who had lived here. And they lived there for, I would say, longer than the nuns. So it's just interesting that that family obviously not haunting the place like the nuns are. We want to thank you for joining us for this show. We want to invite you to join us for the next show, which will be featuring Barren Hill Tavern in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And this actually used to be called the General Lafayette Inn. We'll be looking forward to sharing that with everybody on the next show. Absolutely. All right. I have been your host, Diane. And this is Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.